As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Sort of Android's Dungeon. JJB, JAR, PP, Pax Pamir, baby, second edition. Twilight Struggle, Scythe, Delstrations. There's a lot of games. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting out of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Uh, you can listen to us online, cfru.ca, or you can go to your favorite podcasting website and search Android's Dungeon. You know, I actually listened to us once or twice the, uh, a little while ago, and I was like, these guys are great. I should what, subscribe to them. What podcast did you use? Uh, Pocket Cast? Uh, hold on. It's, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast. Oh, it's all variations. Rebel on- Radio. Cast box. That's what I got. Nice. And it's all right. It's a little spammy if you don't set it up properly. Obviously, you want to be spammed if you to get the latest Android's Dungeon information. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, like I, only that, turn on your notifications for us. Only for us. Like Joe Rogan, he's gonna have one every day. You don't yeah. need to know Joe Rogan's got a new podcast because you know he's got one. For us, though, it's important because much like um, finding dilithium crystal somewhere, it's very rare and very special. Mm. once a week <laughs> but when it shows up is kind of interesting um and aside from that you can check us out on several of the soch as the kids like to say uh twitter ad radio cfru email us at androids dungeon at cfru.ca or on insta androids dungeon cfru there's no uh, that email still exists yeah right now they haven't <laughs> shut it down yet although to be honest i only get stuff from although uh, shout out to uh, karen in england for sending uh, me a very mean message and joel a very nice message <laughs> thanks karen <laughs> yeah whatever. i love you <laughs> whatever um it is hot it is so hot outside that uh, I, I feel like most people have not wanted to play games. Wait, what did Karen say? <laughs> Made a comment about uh, Joel being very, uh, he sounds sexy or something like that. Oh, perfect. And uh, Jack sounding like a, a wiener. Maybe I'm paraphrasing some yeah, stuff. Sounds about right. Wiener's harsh. Look, I'm a lot of things. I don't know if I'm a wiener, but. Uh, we get a lot of feedback <laughs> on this show. Constant. Our, our dedicated fans <laughs> all agree that I'm the sexy one and Jack is the one that knows things. <laughs> He's the Tyrion of the... The Tyrion? <laughs> the, what, the imp. And That's I'm the it. Jamie, just like real dumb but handsome. <laughs> I didn't think Jamie was especially dumb, which was always a weird well, thing. He did a lot sh- of dumb things. He got, and he, you know, I think is again, I blame um, D&D for some of their... Like, especially that last arc with Jamie, like, they everything felt so <laughs> rushed that everyone looked dumb in the end there. Yeah. It, it was brutal. Did we talk about Game of Thrones at all? He decided, well, you, I don't want to give anything away yeah. for the people that... Who hasn't, though? If you watch the series, you must <sighs> have at least, like, heard everything that happens from the latest one, but... Uh, but there was some clickbait stuff going around where the actors were saying they felt they were, they were taken aback by fan outrage over the show, and I feel like... I. 
pretty sure that was taken out of context because I bet they felt pretty bad about, you know, having well, their showrunners phone it in for them. Uh, Comic-Con is on and, you know, that means Marvel's released about oh, 20 new games. Did you see that? Yet. Did you see that timeline? Yeah. Is, did you not feel like you're all hope? It was exhausting. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, holy, what is the, what even is this stuff? It's the Big Loki Mac the factory. Movie. Why not? People were, the, the audience demanded a Scarlet Witch Vision movie. <laughs> That's what they wanted. Yeah, Vision being the most entertaining of. I liked uh, him. He but was anyway, Comic Con is on. Uh, D&D famously has dodged. Yeah, they Comic-Con. just didn't show up. I, it's a good thing they did because I have a feeling it would have been withering. They, <laughs> it would have been a mess, yeah. Did any of the actors show up? It would have been it? entertaining for us. Yeah, it would have been great for us. I don't know. But what's the, aside from the 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 marvel announcements although the the one image i've seen going around is i guess natalie portman is going to be thor in in a new movie oh yeah i guess it's the same one by um i can never pronounce his name the uh new zealand guy who did thor um, ragnarok which was really funny and entertaining until uh, endgame i had totally forgotten natalie portman was in well because i think she famously hated them or yeah. it was well, like was obviously didn't want to be there two or something yeah was she even in the second one i can't even remember yeah because i guess that's um when she gets her Infinity Stone in her thing with the red. And the... <laughs> Goes to show how little I care I totally about this forget <laughs> what happened in the movie, except that in Endgame, they, like, kind of go to it a little bit. A little, yeah, because they... Did she show up in Endgame? I can't remember. To get the, uh, yeah. yeah, she's in a very, like, 30 seconds. I don't know. I feel like... Because um, it's almost like the, the pre-formula down to a T Marvel movies, because mm. you had... Uh, Iron Man was still figuring things out a little bit. And then you had, uh, and I could be screwing this up because I'm not the biggest fan of these movies. But then you had Thor, which were, was entertaining, but still had they still hadn't quite figured it out. Yeah. And then I think by was it Captain America or Avengers? No, Captain America was still sort of like iffy. But by Avengers, yeah. they sort of they figured it out. They got yeah. what the kids wanted. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then like now they've got like kind of three types because they've got like the Ant Man's, yeah, which are very small, and then like the um, who's the wizard guy. Doctor Strange. The Doctor Strange and then the Avengers and the other ones, which are high scale. Yeah. And what I'll, I'll say, because I saw the new Spider-Man, I'll say that it was kind of nice <clears throat> that it was just kind of a, a kid kid having a, whole, a vacation in uh, Europe story. Was like, it fun? Uh, you know, like in the, the 007 series, James Bond, how the scale always kind of ramps up to a certain point and then they reset. Yeah, they go all the way up, and so it's like Bond goes it's space. Crazy. No, now you fight drug dealers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's just, uh, fighting. Things in got crazy here for Brooklyn or something. <laughs> and the same with um, Casino Royale was kind of a reset. Yeah. Right after the intensity of Tomorrow Never Dies, I think was Pierce Pierce Brosnan's last one. Uh, World is not enough. World is not enough. Exactly. It fighting was, the North Koreans on a blimp to blow up the landmines with a laser. Super laser <laughs> from space. Let's Icarus step back here for a second. And they were like, yeah, let's, that that's God enough. awful Madonna theme song. So I feel like Avengers Endgame was like, okay, this is, this is a lot. Yeah. And we've just hit people with a lot of heaviness, a lot of possibly death and um, other things. Let's take it back. So, yeah, uh, Spider-Man was a nice little fun romp. It's, it was an Ant-Man movie is was what it, I'm saying. How long was it, Tim? Uh, two hours? Just under two hours, I think. An hour and a half, maybe. The... 
have, did you meet? Have you met Eric? Yeah, he was at uh, Victoria's the one night. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, he's invited us to go to the drive-in with him because I guess he he bought it. Is fun. He bought a new car recently, and it came with drive-in passes, which I think is kind of cute. Hey, that's kind of cool. Um, and even the drive-in is a novelty that manages to go on. I think through novelty purposes, because I can't imagine somebody saying, <laughs> yeah. "Let's hit up the drive-in for the pure cinematic experience." Um, but he was saying, what was showing? There was the Lion King remake, which I have zero interest really to see. Yep. But I'm, I'm like, I'm not going. I'm going out of my way to see it. But if somebody said, do you want to see this f- for free or something, or just like enjoy it? It's like, yeah, fine, whatever. But the follow-up movie, the double feature, it's always double feature, was Marvel's or Avengers Endgame. Hmm. And I kind of stopped for a second. I was like, I don't know if I have it in me to, because it's like three hours if long. It's the isn't second it? movie. That's pretty tough. Yeah. And I don't know if I care enough. Like, it was fine, but do I really want to sit there for... Uh, was it three hours? Yeah. Yeah. I went recently, and I did uh, Toy Story 4, yeah. which was nice. And I think that's the one that I really went to see. Mm-hmm. And then there was the X-Men Dark, Dark Phoenix. Phoenix. How was that? Long. Was it? And I didn't stay awake through the whole thing. Oh, man. Now which was that... is, like, pretty rare for me. Now, was it because you were tired, or was it because the movie's boring? I was tired, and it also started at, like, 11. That's pretty late. So I was... I think I made... I think I understand the entire movie from what I saw. I might have missed a few action scenes that... <laughs> I don't think there's some deeper meaning you're, uh, <laughs> that's escaping you. What happened... What? Whatever... I'm going to do my Andy Rooney here. Whatever happened to the adult films in the evening at the drive-in the adult the, film industry the adult film no i'm not talking about porno i'm talking <laughs> about like can we throw on a narrated flick like wouldn't yeah. that be kind of fun to see at the i guess it's just the kids that want to go now the kids the kids will be asleep <laughs> or, or you've thrown them away or something yeah i don't understand how there's how they're doing these because obviously it's got to be like 9 nine thirty before you can start actually playing because you're outdoors and if these these like it's a summer kids tend to run around a lot in the summer go swimming and they're tired so mm-hmm. do you give them a nap isn't that like the kiss of death with parents like if you catch the kids napping it's like oh my evening's yeah, toast here because my night yeah i don't, I don't and there's know. the concession with all the candy and the yeah. pop and then it's an experience i think for I like the concession it's come on it's fun now the only thing better would be roller skates bring it up to your car with the <laughs> kind of the whatever That'd be pretty cool. Now we're just playing Food Chain Magazine. Food Chain so. Expansion. Actually, that'd be all right. Have drive-ins as, yeah. a, as a different sort of business to run. Isn't it you have a drive-up feature? Yeah, I think so. Like people can... Street? I don't know. I'd have to look at it, but I'm really excited. And what's scary, though, is the expansion, I think, is like 120 bucks, 115 bucks. <laughs> but that said, I think it's got just as much content as the base game, so it just comes loaded. So... I don't know. I'm I'm psyched for that, and I think it comes at the same time as Roads and Boats. Is do you know Splatter's going to be at um, Gen Con? Are they? No, I was asking you. Do you know? Oh, I haven't looked it up. Okay. But I did look. I did just look at some information saying that there are seventeen thousand events. Insane. How many of those? Uh, let's be honest. How many of these are like RPG? Uh, oh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's this is about twelve categories, and board <clears throat> games is a small part of them. But board games is probably the biggest. All right, so speaking of, Android's on the show about board games and movies and music and whatever happened to us walking into the studio. Yep. Uh, so Joel is going to Gen Con. When does it start? Uh, it will be the 31st of July, going to the 4th of August. So it's a decent amount of time. It's in Indianapolis, correct? Indianapolis. Is just Indianapolis has just transformed itself into this convention. Convention city. City. And the entire hotel industry and everything is basically like pick a convention We'll lock down all the rooms, and then you uh, get your attendees, and we'll, we'll just put them in 
put them into slots. It's just like hotels don't even exist there for regular business. It's just convention, convention, convention. convention. Interesting. And I wonder if they have their own ecosystem. It's They're trying to do a Vegas style where it's like there's never any reason to leave the, the <laughs> ecosystem. It's, Come from one convention to the other. Well, oh, I didn't mean like that, but that'd be kind of funny. The convention, man. Wouldn't that be – actually, it's almost – it's borderline the terminal except I wonder convention. if there's one item that is applicable that you could sell at every convention. <laughs> uh, I can think of some mean ones, but <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Anyway, uh, waifu pillows. <laughs> waifu pillows? You could probably get away with a lot of that. Yeah. I should buy one or two. The police, the police national convention. Are you thinking of um, uh, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know. I haven't seen that in forever, but the movie always kind of repulsed me, to be honest. It's, really? I think it's just so gonzo. Like, it captures the the disgusting sort of excess and fashion and um, style of the, the 70s, or at least that era, and uh, mixed in with Gilliam's sort of cartoonish aesthetic and appreciation for weird angles. And then there's the acidy stuff going on. And just, oh, I'm feeling, it's the same problem I have with um, Natural Born Killers, where I feel nauseated watching it. Yeah. Just because it's physically kind of bothering me what I'm looking at. But <laughs> it's too much for you, man. It's too much sense. a bad trip. <laughs> bad trip. Well, it's, <laughs> they succeeded. I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was Natural Born Killers or what, but I think, there was definitely a story I read once where I think it was Oliver Stone, Francis Ford Coppola, and there was a third fellow, and they were driving in the desert, and I think they had just consumed an ungodly amount of mushrooms, and they were just having a good time, and I think that's where some of these ideas were sprung out of. But uh, mm. but I think Natural Born Killers is a connection to Tarantino, too. So I think there's there's some weird Oliver Stone Tarantino crossovers with some of their scripts that they did but I don't want to go on too much because I can't I'm, I'm, this is all like in the corner can't of my mind can't get the facts down I don't want to go off half cocked here yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyway so Gen Con's coming up what have you narrowed out down anything else you want to do there yeah, so I'm just looking at an article saying uh, hey I'm going to Gen Con this is on Reddit I'm going to Gen Con for the first time 2019. What are th- some of the things you can do? So you ask some of the typical questions like, where should I stay? What, what, what am I going to do for food? Do I have to pay to play the games? Mm-hmm. Um, so you you do have to pay if somebody's teaching you a game. Come on. Just something that Jack is not very happy about. But games are like 4 to $6 to sign up and play a game. But... Um, there is, you know, the exhibit hall, which is like this massive hall where right. all the developers have set up and you can just go demo games there or play games in the side room for free at any time. And it's not, it's because it's not a structured time where somebody has set aside their time to run a game, a full game for mm-hmm. you. And the, obviously the Western Empire's demo is, is free. Um, and then as far as. Can you get games cheaper at Gen Con than you would at a normal a store? Question. Um, apparently, Rio Grande and Cool Stuff will always sell their games at a pretty decent discount. Interesting. And then most booths will put at least a $5 to 20, 20% discount on all of their products. That's really cool. So you get some deals. Plus, I don't know about you, but I find that the prices in the U.S. are always better. There's no question about it. Just anyone who knows anything. So this may be getting to get into something a bit bigger here that I can't remember if we've done a, a solid thing on how to buy board games or where to buy board games. But if you, one of the best sources, and I'll be honest, I check it frequently, is the Board Game Geek uh, Hot Deals mm-hmm. uh, subthread. And some people swear by the Reddit one, but I think most of that is just people copy and pasting from the Board Game Geek and vice versa. Yeah. So there's like some crossover here. But you'll always see there's tons of deals every day. And you think get excited, and then you always see .com, uh, CSI, 
miniature market yeah. and all these U.S. places that if you're lucky, they ship to Canada. That's if you're lucky. Um, and that's not even taking into account what it costs to ship to Canada. You'll always get charged duty. I say always. Sometimes you can get away with it. But mm. I think these guys don't play around. Mm. And um, and then by the time you do the conversion and all your headaches, it's like, oh, I'm paying. Yeah. If I saved any money, it's a miracle. If you have a P.O. box in the States, you're going to save money here and there. Yep. But for the most part, like you say, it's not worth the headache. And then uh, again with like these uh, Facebook buy and sell yeah. tr- game trade web pages. Like, man, that's a great price. And then you look, it's like, oh, oh available for pickup in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> Road trip. <laughs> but it is, it's, there are, and, and I, I, there are some deals in Canada, but you do have to pay attention to them. And even, I think the problem is that um, if you really want deal deals, you've really got to keep your ear to the ground as far as it'd be buy sells. Because mm. that's where, for Gen Con, I think, and a lot of these other conferences, a lot of people go just trade. So they'll meet, they, there are these groups that people will talk to each other and organize trades and swap stuff. And whether it's a math trade or just somebody trying to get rid of stuff for X dollars and what. But I think that's where you can find some treasures if, yeah. you, if you really want that sort of stuff. Or buying new from these booths. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, and obviously, like the hot new games are going to be there. That's what Gen Con is all about is releasing this year's game that you think is going to be your flagship, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, maybe you'll put something out around Christmas or around uh, uh, Essen yep. in October. But, but basically, the games are released either in August at Gen Con or at Essen in October. And so these are the exciting times. We have something look, to look forward to. We don't know what's going to come out and be hot yet, but mm-hmm. we have some hints for sure. Well, what do you think, Joel? Um, there are some lists out there for like top 10, but... Uh, I, I really am I'm keeping wide open right now. I think there's a bunch of expansions coming out for things that already exist that I'm not too excited about. Is there a TI4 expansion? Do you know? Or are they doing a Gen Con? Or? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, It's a little early, I guess, for it, but it feels like... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people stay tight-lipped so that when Gen Con comes out, all of a sudden the hype is created. Everything is, oh my God, this is out. How how long do you think? Or do forbidden, you think... Wh- forbidden Space. Forbidden, well, <laughs> we all know that's coming. But, but do you think we're ever going to get to the point where it becomes like E3 style? of uh, big like presentations where they have like some Keanu Reeves coming up <laughs> Keanu Reeves to talk about a board game <laughs> Francis Tresham <laughs> in a wheelchair this is my new Sam <laughs> what <laughs> can't hear you there's yeah, nothing personal against Tresham he's just old yeah. and he's hard of hearing there are scheduled events you can go to and I I think you know that I'm scheduled I'm doing about two a day pretty each good day it's pretty good about four hours two and to four not, hours each day you're not wedded to it like if it stinks or exactly, it's boring yeah. you just like <clears throat> excuse me but they say that it takes at least two days just to go through the exhibit hall if you're playing the demos like if you're if you're interested in the booths and you're going and checking mm-hmm. out the demos and stuff so that's pretty cool obviously some of that is waiting in line to actually get to the demo uh, another thing you should know is um that uh, there will be some prizes. Like Gen Con itself doesn't offer any prizes for people, best game player, best cosplayer, anything like that. <laughs> I don't know how many people are cosplaying there, but I can think of um, one. There's definitely some role playing events and LARPing events, so people will be dressing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the game companies will actually be presenting prizes or or th- things to sample, right? I can't believe Try this new event magic card. 
Well, that and that's cool because there are the you'll see them floating around, and oftentimes you'll see these. It's almost been re- replaced by the Kickstarter stuff, but uh, of special card or special event, thing event, event thing. exclusive event yeah. e- exclusive stuff. I had that little box of them. Remember? Oh. Of uh, what were they for? Event exclusive magic cards. Oh, that's right. I yeah. gave most of them to Stefan, I think. Nice. Yeah, great. <laughs> Have fun. So, something to look forward to. Um, I am I am surprised, sorry to get you off, that Gen Con doesn't have its own um, best in show thing as voted by the people or yeah. some sort of prize. Because why not? Because I, I know Gen Con is popular in our circle, but yeah. it's I'm just surprised they haven't tried to monetize it or turn it into something else where a game can put on their box like best in show Gen Con 2019 or People's that's, Choice yeah, 2019. That's not a bad idea. And, There's got to be a reason. It's weird that Essen has like the Essen Awards, but they're in like May, but then they have Essen Spiel. Which is confusing. Convention in October. <laughs> I don't even know if they're associated. I have no idea either, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's just like they have the, there's just too many of these disparate sort of awards floating around, but there's obviously Golden Geek is a big one. And um, you'll see the Dice Tower, uh, Seal yeah. of Approval. I think shut I've seen Shut down, Up and Sit Down. Recommends. I don't Android's see it too Dungeon much. approves. Android, just our, our guerrilla <laughs> warfare. Yeah, we just throw stickers on things. And then just us either smiling or just somebody crudely photoshopping the face upside down and just putting it on like Dead of Winter or something else. Well, I did read a bit about the history of Giant Con. And I guess Gary Gygax and all those other guys that first made it in the 70s were really just trying to find a convention yeah. to host war games. Interesting. Oh, it was war game based. Yeah. And then it kind of expanded into all the other games and then obviously RPGs and everything from there. Mm-hmm. Seeing as he released D&D at Gen Con and yeah. all that other stuff. So it's always been a platform for people to meet and play games mm-hmm. instead of like a, an event in itself. Yeah. But at this point, it's grown so big. You're right. It could be very easily just like, let's make a, at, at near the end, maybe, a central stage and have all the designers and the producers come up and be recognized and maybe people people at the convention could vote on what they were most excited about from from the convention. Right? Well, exactly. Why Just not? take a page out of, let's say, Con or uh, some other film festival where it's like you have a panel of judges that can, obviously, they're the ones who would be doing their own thing. And then you have the people's choice of like, oh, the average goer, like, what do you think was the best? I liked this the most. And yeah, it's UA like, and Feld and uh, Kinesia all sitting there. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, I'd love to hear what those guys think is. They vote Andrew Garfield off the island. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield? <laughs> Richard Garfield. <laughs> They're both kicked off. Yeah, Andrew Garfield, a renowned game designer. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> exactly. Your Spider-Man sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that was at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, it's Richard Garfield is just one of these guys that. Uh, I, I, so did he do Artifact too? Yeah. If, if Valve hired him, they probably paid him an ungodly amount of money. Uh, Keyforge, which keeps going, but I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Um, and then like a couple of weird games here. Well, he's the big magic guy. So yeah. I got his name, but uh, yeah, I mean King of Tokyo. <clears throat> Oh, I forgot about King of Tokyo. Yeah. Yahtzee. Monster <laughs> Yahtzee. Which is fine. It's for kids. Whatever. It's my favorite to like compare like, well, the pe- like I was explaining to the other people why Twilight Struggle is so highly rated is mm-hmm. because people that are playing King of Tokyo aren't playing it and therefore aren't <laughs> rating it. <laughs> you know? It's, it's like, oh, that doesn't meet my theme because 
uh, you know, they're never going to pick it up. But the thing is, too, like, all right, let's get into this. So, Joel, what have you been playing recently? <laughs> Twilight Struggle. Twilight Struggle. Uh, give, I think we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but yep. um, Twilight Struggle is an exclusively two-player game. You can't even play one player, I don't think. And, which is interesting. I'm surprised there there aren't bots for, yeah. uh, but I guess it's too complicated for it. Uh, even though the computer well, could, can play it, you can't. Yeah, you can play it on Steam against the yeah. Bots. So there's a digital version you can play against the computer. Um, even though I've heard it does weird things at times, but um, anyway, anyway, uh, set in the Cold War, one person is U.S., one person is the Russians, and it's card driven in which you have this entire map, and in order to do stuff on the map, you play a card, and you either take the points or you take the event, or if you're playing your opposing side's uh, card for points, you always have to play the event as well. And it's an area control game, and areas are broken up into the, the continents, basically. And at certain times, a dominance check basically appears, and it's like, and it's specific. So there'd be like Asia dominance, and you check to see who has the most, is it battleground states? Uh, yeah, so you, in order to <clears throat> establish dominance, you need the most battleground states and the most total states. Yeah, and then if you've got that, you get points. And then there's some other stuff here and there, and the game proceeds onwards, cards being added to simulate the flow of time. And there's a space race, a little mini game going on, and there's the DEFCON track, which is probably the most interesting yeah. Uh, part of the game, or at least the, the the catchiest. But going back to the King of Tokyo crowd versus Twilight Struggle crowd, it, if let's just say you're walking to the store <laughs> and you're like, "Oh boy, I'm looking for a game to play," what would you recommend? <laughs> and uh, you would see a picture of some—I don't even like the art of King of Tokyo, but these a bunch of monsters on top of a building uh, fighting penguin, each other, giant, robot rabbit, things exploding. It's like, "Whoa, this is exciting and goofy and fun!" And look at all the dice, and it's it's cute. And then you look at Twilight Struggle, and the cover is bizarre. It's like some weird sort of like it, it works. It's, like it's a functional. Businessman. Businessman facing some planes. And on a yeah, like between the two um, checkpoint Charlie basically, and mm. you've got all, and this art is really weird, like computer generated. And then the back, you flip it over, and it's dry as dry can be. <laughs> it's just a picture of the board game. You'd probably just crack into the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well just read the rules at that point. Uh, but I, I don't think anyone would pick up Twilight Struggle without... On a whim. On a whim. I would never do it on a whim. No. But it's when you start to look at, like, when you get, fall down the hole of the hobby, and you see, oh, Twilight Struggle is, like, the number one game for X years. Ten and years, yeah. you talk to other people, like, Twilight Struggle is this, Twilight Struggle is that. It's like, it's legend. You look up the strategy. And How to play Twilight Struggle. Here's a 40-page manifesto on each of the cards. Yeah, that's it. So that to give you, in, the only other game I could think of that is has remotely that, well, I'll be generous here, um, dedicated following is Dominion. And yeah. every card that they've ever put out, and just like Twilight Struggle, every card that's available, and there's tons, there's, like Joel was saying, this giant page of... You find a page on each, yeah. On each, and, like, talk about how good is this, when would you use this, what's if, the... Yeah, if you're the U.S., this is what you do. Yeah. If you're the USSR, this is what you do. Yeah. It, it's incredible. So tell us about your games. I obviously love that the game is tiered. In early game, you get a nice small deck. Mid-game, you're adding in this... What's that, Joel? Yeah. I know you're thinking... You're putting cards wouldn't, in... <laughs> wouldn't Terraforming Mars be improved vastly, maybe 20 times better, if they had... Uh, okay, you're landing on Mars, and all these re interesting events. arrival events happen, and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, you're starting to... Okay, you've got your greenhouses, you've got your oxygen starting to get established and now you're exploring mars and then oh you've explored mars now you're going to tap the resources yeah. wouldn't that be cool 
if there was some kind of time progression <laughs> instead of just a deck literally impossible to shuffle by the way too as tall as like my fist yeah it's a, it's a fat stack of cards and there's so many expansions that add cards too that's uh, and it's completely random what you get yeah. uh sorry but Pl- back back, back to <laughs> back twilight, twilight struggle no more complaining about uh terraforming a game which i don't hate fine. it's just frustrating and it's funny because that theme is something that i really love yeah oh uh, wait mars or exploring mars yeah. yeah uh but the theme of twilight struggle <clears throat> I think there's two types of people that want to play Twilight Struggle. And one is because it goes early war, mid war, late war, and has this beautiful setup of um, historically accurate cards, which each card actually has a long history write up in the back of the rule which book. was tons of the first did you do the same thing as me the first time you look at the rules you're like looking through some of these cards i didn't i hadn't even heard of some yeah, of these events what like, are oh, these this things? is interesting or look at that why is pope john paul ii so important yeah <laughs> like, it's, well it's because uh, spoiler joel and i probably weren't alive until the war was over <laughs> it was like the, it was pretty we much, win. It's, it's game over man yeah so the first game um the war went in the natural progression of uh the ussr dominant just like just like in real life, uh, the USSR destroyed the Americans and everyone was happy. <laughs> but uh, the game was over very quickly, painfully quickly, in fact, in which we never actually even made it to the mid-war. Uh, the USSR um, won with 20 points uh, right at the end of early war. Which is another neat feature to the game is that... And that's something I think the the GMT games are quite fond of, or especially like we'll get into this later too with Cole Worley or Worley. Um, if you're X points ahead of someone else at the end of a game, typically or end of a round or something, typically they'll say, "No, it's over." It's like because yeah. we were just calling it. So actually, Pax Premier does that in a way. Yes, it absolutely does. Um, Here I Stand does it as well, like a lot of these games do. Yeah. So basically, the the to win the game is just comparative VPs. You're not racing on a track for VPs. It's only you could do this in any two-player game, but it's uh, if you have 20 more VPs than your opponent, you win. Mm-hmm. So if your opponent loses VPs, you go up on the track. If you if they gain VPs, they go up on the track, etc. Um, which is kind of funny because when you do these scoring, you're both getting VPs, but usually when it's well balanced, you just both get zero. Yeah, and it just sits there. Um, second game, so we did a rematch. Second game, we. Uh, quickly cancelled because we realized that all the cards that we had taken out we never actually shuffled back in. So that <laughs> one only lasted two rounds. Yeah. And the third game was finally a nice, little bit more well-balanced. Yeah. I played the US. Uh, Derek, friend of the show, maybe. Probably maybe. Has, probably has never listened. <laughs> enemy of the show. <laughs> yeah. Hostile. Neutrals and enemies. He's the G&B corporation <laughs> out to the show oh, uh, <laughs> i guess we're gonna get into that so good at segways today <laughs> we're not done yet joel come on man um, the gmp uh so i played the u.s because clearly it was like oh the ussr is overpowered i i need to play the ussr so he played the ussr and he made it to the opening of the end game so we shuffled in the end game i think i was dom- i was had domination in five districts so all I needed to do was draw a scoring card, and obviously USSR triggers first. So play the card, score it, game over. So I think he's learning. He's got a long way to go. Uh, Twilight Struggle is not a game that you can just pick up uh, like DC or something and get lucky in your first game and win. <laughs> there is no luck. There is a lot of luck in Twilight Struggle. 
but it's only going to get you so far, right? Yeah. If, even if I'm failing all of my cues and you're succeeding in all your space races, uh, eventually the tactics of where you're placing and what you're valuing and how you, especially your card economy, mm-hmm. how you're getting rid of your opponent's cards. And I know I'm saying a lot of things that I'm not explaining, but there's just not enough time. There's not enough time, <laughs> and it's too obtuse. It's like you, there's... There's the weeds, and then there's the weeds, <laughs> and this is the weeds. So you look at a hand of eight cards, and you probably have four four to six cards you don't want to play, depending on your luck, because they will trigger your opponent's events, and you have to find out the best way to optimize that hand in, in which you're doing the least amount of damage. So that takes a lot of strategy. And that's something that y- luck is not going to help you with. And it's also, and we've said it before on the show, that there's certain games that knowing what the cards are beforehand is mm. going to be yeah. a huge difference in, in determining someone's skill level. And Twilight Struggles, 100, 120%, 100%, 100% coach uh, one of those games that somebody who knows the cards is going to beat you. Yep. Unless things go c- catastrophically wrong. Because all these cards are so unique and so special, and there's some total landmines that you you learn to anticipate or expect people to play, or certain combinations. And if you, that's why I think playing with people who are brand new to the game together, I think it's the best way to move on. Because I, I frankly, unless somebody's teaching you the game, or or doing some sort of real handholding or really sort of educational experience, I would feel, and I'm not good at the game at all, but I would feel bad trying to play against somebody who's totally new because there's got to be a fine line between yeah. like i'm just going to crush you and you're not going to learn anything by which the way. is exactly what happened last night i came to bring the game i was uh, planning on playing against <clears> Stefan, <throat> and then i realized this is not going to be close i need to give them some experience so i said you two you know me play this game together did you set it up for them and so i set it up for them mm-hmm. and i gave them advice through the early war. curtis and Stefan, friends of the show yeah so I explained the rules. I kind of gave them some early tips. Like, here's this is West Germany. It's really important. Get in there. Get your stuff in. Get Poland going. Everything like that. And just kind of gave them the early game uh, tips. And then as soon as they get through the first three rounds, I said, okay, you guys are on your own. Yeah. Well, and that's to uh, be honest, it's all you really right. need to just kind of get. It is a simple game, yeah. mostly. They need to try a coup. To know what it's like, they need to try maybe a realignment role or maybe not. The realignment stuff is, I will say, <laughs> I'm still, I, my my brain starts, starts the melting. It's kind of like, I still can't quite figure out what the modifies the realignment rules. Yeah, it's really situational for sure. Anyway. It's like every adjacent place you control, and if you have more in the territory, and every superpower you control, those are all plus ones. Yeah. Then. I get plus two and you get plus three, so we roll a roll the dice, dice. <laughs> and then and then uh, you know is it take one off? Take off the difference. Is it one up per uh, yeah one up per roll too, and you can just switch places on the next. Okay, so I got rid of everything. So it is really handy if you kind of uh, control a region, but somebody's kind of sneaking in with you trying with, to lock it down, trying to poke things. The in hell you think like, you're I'm just doing? Clean this up with yeah. a realignment set. But then there's other stuff too, like, and I think we should, uh, we'll take a musical break after this, but 
there's other cards that completely wipe you off the face of the map. And th those yeah. are good examples of, like, a new person would, let's say Japan, like a, a dumb USSR player. Oh, I got Japan. I've got it. I can move all over Asia. And you just play a <laughs> Japanese US alliance. Like, yeah. you're gone. And then you get all this stuff. Korea War is the other one. There's the Gaul in France. There's yeah. a bunch of these uh, things that can blow up on you. And if you sink too many resources into it and not yeah. know what's coming, then you're done. And speaking, if you're experienced enough as a USSR player, you're going to wait until your opponent has built enough control in Japan yeah. to actually control it, and then you play it and you say, ha, sucker, this is out of the game, yeah. and you gain nothing. It's that's, it's all knowing the cards, and obviously you can fly by the seat of your pants to an extent, but like you were saying earlier, it, somebody who knows what they're doing should, yeah. should. <laughs> good One thing I learned from the first game, if you're the USSR, never put out NORAD. <laughs> it's going to trigger about 20 times in the game. <laughs> It's true. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. And some people even advocate for removing two cards from the game, huh. which are Bear Trap and Quagmire, because oh, yeah. they find them to be too just... Too much RNG. Too much RNG, and it's like very thematically appropriate, but as far as like a game that's fairly tight and kind of interesting for tournament play, it's just like... All of a sudden, somebody's sitting there without two moves or something. Yeah, and you're just... It's a waste of time. So, yeah. anyway. Uh, speaking of waste of time, we're going to listen to some music, and we'll be back in a second to talk about Pax Pamir. And uh, maybe we'll get in some chat about something else that's come up, but we'll some see. Some space shooters. Some space pew, stuff. Pew, pew. Pew, pew. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Earth, Air, Fire, Water by Burning Tapes from the album Black Lake, which was, uh, it's been out for a little bit. I think, I don't know, about a year, maybe two years. But uh, for me, it's one of those soundtracks. It's it's a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist. And uh, every now and then I'll listen to an album and it just takes me to another place. And for me, it's like I've already built the movie that I want to (laughs) make using the music to all this because it's... What's the scene? Um, this is this is the intro stuff, so it's uh, kind of, I'll admit, I was ripping off Mandy sort of with the introduction, but just kind of like going through the forest, basically, too. Scanning over trees. Scanning over trees. Not quite Shining style of like the... Is it sunny or cloudy? No, no, it's it's very dark. <laughs> it's, I don't know if it's twilight or dusky, but maybe it's getting darker as you go through, like the night's changing. But uh, I'm going to reveal the premise of my story right here. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's about a, a, um, a woman who... Uh, she is a woman now, but growing up, uh, it was agreed in her family that when you turn this age, uh, her brothers and sisters would come back to this family house in the middle of nowhere, and they would all kill each other, and whoever lives inherits the fortune of the this strange family. And uh, that's the, the entire premise of showing up there and dealing with these insane uh, siblings. Very nice. So. There's this... Uh... I'm not sure entirely what it's about, but the trailer seems to give quite a bit away in that there's a girl marrying into a very wealthy family. Okay. And then she has to spend the night in the mansion. Okay, classic. And then the whole family is trying to kill her. All right. Except for the husband. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Or at least at the beginning. Wait, wait, you're not talking about you're next, are you? Is that what it is? It's like, uh, basically, she... She's on vacation. It's kind of nice. And then all of a sudden, everything's... Is it a recent movie? They're all trying to kill her. They're all terrible at it. Hmm. So it's kind of a comedy horror. Mm, I don't know if it's and... this one. And, yeah, she's married. Like, they're all... Like, it's like an estate or whatever. And then I guess they're all superstitious that something horrible will happen if they don't kill the bride. Okay. No, it's, it's a different movie, but I, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could remember what it was. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good trailer. Though. Speaking of uh, pointless murder, Pax Pamir. Pax. Second Peace. edition. Peace something. <laughs> it's not a very peaceful game for a, a name with peace in the title. Uh, is a re- it was a reprint of Pax Pamir, which came out a while ago, and I think it was on a lot of people's top lists as one of their favorite Pax games. And I think, generally speaking, it was considered one of the more accessible ones because uh, it's a it's a series designed by Phil Eklund from Sierra Madre Games, and this one was Cole Verley's, or Whirly's. I keep wanting to say the on there. Um, I, I don't know how much Eklund's development was in it, but it's considered to be his game. So it was kickstarted, re-released in this gorgeous form. The nickname for it is Pax Rug at this point because it's just the player mat is this lovely rug. <laughs> Afghan like rug. Afghan-looking rug. And the theme is um, you and your opponents are all basically Afghan warlords in the fall, uh, in the in the ashes of the, I think, Durrani Empire in the 19th century as uh, Britain and Russia are both uh, sharpening their knives and forks and trying <laughs> to figure out how to best leverage uh, the, uh, the, f- the <laughs> I don't want to say colonies, but what's the, I forget the term that you say. Anyway. Yeah. They're, the, they're start studying the art of satellite war. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we don't have to fight each other directly if we just fight each other in this uh, theater of war. Yeah, and the old cover of the game actually summed it up pretty well, was that there was a lion and a bear on each on either side in the in, in the middle there's a, a kind of a, a suspicious looking afghani fellow kind of looking out of both eyes at each other and 
the premise is that you are playing, you you are looking out for numero uno. Yep. And whether that means helping the King of England or the Tsar, that can change. Yeah. You're yeah. helping your team. You're helping your team. It could be the Afghanis, too. But if your team's not doing too well. It's uh, oh, I just remembered. <laughs> I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> and that's the game. It's a tableau builder. So it's the mechanics are dirt simple. You've got a market row. Um, which things get more and more expensive as you go up there. And you buy cards, and you get two actions a turn. And you buy cards, and you can play cards, and you can take actions from cards that are played. And when some cards are played, you get the things right from them. And it is an area control game where you are trying to basically either uh, make sure that whatever faction you are working with, whether the Russians, the Afghani, or the uh, the British, have the most pieces out, and that means they're taking control of the place. Or if nobody's going to have control, you have the most of your tribesmen out on the board, indicating that you've spread your family members all over the place. And that's the play of the game. Similar to Twilight Struggle, there are dominance checks that show up randomly, and yeah. people can buy them to trigger them instantly. Or you can, if nobody can afford them, nobody wants to, as soon as they would be discarded, it gets triggered, or another one shows up. Um, and you keep going until the fourth dominance check is revealed, and you get points based on how good you're doing. And the points, this is not going to be a game where you're in with 250 <laughs> points. What was our final yeah. scores? Uh, we all tied at four points. Was it four? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, there were three dominance checks. Uh, first one, Hassan got three. Curtis got one. Yeah. Second one, Curtis got three. Uh, me and Huss tied for zero because it was one rounded down. Yeah. And then the last dominance check, me and you each got four. Which was, and that was, like the game board, let's just say the points go up to 25. That was the double score, too. And that's a double round, doubled. too. So it's a very tight, very low-scoring game, and which means that all these points are super important. So don't poo-poo getting one point, because it, be, it could make or break yeah. the game there. Um, Joel, what were your thoughts on Pax Pamir? It's a, so it's first impression, of course, but uh, here's some first thoughts. The board is beautiful. Uh, you know, innovative that you would, <clears throat> instead of getting your typical cardboard board, actually design a piece of cloth and print that as your as your board because it's just a map, right? It's just it's just lines drawn on a on a piece of cloth. Why not? Mm -hmm. uh, so perfectly thematic. Uh, and then obviously the the token for whatever the favorite suit is and the thickness of the cards and everything. The components get top marks. <clears throat> the theme. It's a dry theme, but it's done perfectly. This mm -hmm. guy, Cole Worley, is obsessed. And you can tell by the back of the rule book that he's got books and books and books that he's written, some of them not even in English. Um, or, sorry, read. I was going to say. <laughs> on the subject and all of the uh, characters and the fighters and the items and the, the, the locations of importance in the cards are bang on it's just like twilight struggle in that mm -hmm. sense and that um it wasn't like there was no half-assing of the it. history yeah. behind these things so and then as far as the gameplay goes incredibly confusing as far as what you're supposed to do the functionality of how things run i would say uh, on a complexity level i would say is still like a six and a half or seven out of ten like it is very hard to learn mm -hmm. just how the game works I could see some brains melting right away with like, okay, so look at the card and there are like four things on here and you got to pay attention to every single one of them that's, that shows up and yeah. everyone else is doing the same thing, by the way. 
a lot of the time we say, oh, well, this has a lot of front-loaded rules, but once you, f once you get past that, it's pretty simple. And this one, I think it's, it's both. It's, it's got a lot of front-loaded rules, and then when you get down into the cards and then what the cards do, it's like, well, there's a lot more rules. <laughs> well, because some of the cards even have special abilities that negate some of the, the innate or the uh, built-in rules, yep. and that adds another level of complexity. And because these cards are so important, it's relying on you to pay attention to what people have got going on. I think some of those cards that, just to get into the some of those cards and what they do, uh, those cards that uh, Hassan had where it was like, you don't pay for this type of card, were incredible mm -hmm. because uh, you mm -hmm. might be paying five coins and you might never see five coins. You might never actually have five <laughs> coins throughout the whole game yeah. because it's a closed economy. Yeah. It's hard to pick up money. And some of the cards, you know, it will give you two coins until you until you don't have that card anymore and you have to give them back. Yeah, unless you've already spent that. And then it's like, sorry, <laughs> no money to pay back. Yeah, but uh, it's an extremely difficult game, I would say. Uh, it's not it's not something you're going to teach to your mom or your grandma. Um, <laughs> but with that said, uh, the payoff is incredible. Like, I cannot wait to play it again. I mm -hmm. think I've already learned so much in one game play. Yeah. And even though this is a first impression, I'm incredibly impressed. PAX Premier, second edition. If you are a heavy gamer, it's a must-buy. I don't even, I, I think I'm less on the heavy side as you are with it. It's definitely confusing. And when, yeah. when you're talking about teaching it to your mom or your grandma, like that's not even a question here. I think it's just, it's definitely a game that if you have somebody, and I feel like you and I could probably do it reasonably well. Uh, if you have somebody who knows how to play it and can explain things and explain the flow and tell you things to worry about, then I think you'll be okay. But I, I felt, and I'm pretty sure you felt the same way, when we were learning going out, it was just, oh, what am I doing? And yeah. it's it's not it's not clear. But a lot of games, this is maybe one of our review criteria or something, but is this considered to be accessibility? Like how many times mm. do I have to, am I expected to play a game and fumble through it before it, it reveals its, its genius to me and it becomes <laughs> like, wh yeah. how much do I have to work at this? But yeah. in general, I found it to be, um, maybe I didn't find it as heavy as, but it was just more about the amount well, of things I had to keep in track of was exactly. driving me crazy. You think about the all of the elements in the game, right? right. Okay, so if you look at it, there's buy a card, play a card. Yeah. Those are the two actions you get. Well, that's pretty simple. Easy. <laughs> then there are special rules for when you buy. <laughs> there are special rules for situations in which you can play a card or where you're not allowed to play a card. Yeah. Uh, when you play a card, what do those cards do? What territory do you put those ter things yeah. down on wait does somebody else rule that territory oh by the way they're shaking you down for a bribe yeah exactly do okay, i have so a spy this card if <laughs> yeah and there's there's i think what i describe it as like it's like you're spinning um you're spinning six plates on sticks and your opponents are all spinning the same amount of discs and, and you're trying, trying to hit to each, each other's, each other's discs <laughs> and uh they're and there's yeah, this another. This is not a euro, too. This is very it's much super a take that all the way. You are trying to knock each other down constantly. And I think that's one of these things. And it's it's almost like when you play Comet with people who, it's you have to get out of your euro mindset. And um, and maybe I don't know why risk seems to get seems to get meaner, feel pettier. But 
You have to break down the idea of taking things personally mm. and r never get attached to stuff. Because yep. like alliances should be dropped at the drop of a hat if it benefits you. Just because you're stuck with you're with Russia and you sunk some gifts into there, you see yeah. the writing on the wall. Switch to whatever faction is going to be dominant because your gifts are worthless if yeah. you're not ahead. And are you happy? And are you doing well? And you're well established in a region. We're yeah. in a game of area control, which is obviously something that you seek to do. Yeah. Well, did you lose one tribe in that region? Well, I guess you're losing every single card <laughs> for that it. region as well. Or did oh, did a spy show up and take out your last card in that region? I You've guess all of your freaking army in that territory is gone. So there's a the the what's Joel's referring to is the overthrow rule, which I think should almost be number one in the rule book yeah. because, but it shows up there and he stresses how important it is, but. In order to do anything in the region, you have to be represented by a family member or a tribesman. And if you've got a tribesman there and you have plurality of pieces, which includes uh, your whatever faction you're supporting and your, your thing, you get to have control of it, which is great. But if somebody comes along and starts a battle in that region and kills your tribesman, you've lost control of the region. Everything of yours is gone. You lose all the cards associated with that region in your hand. And then it goes vice versa. If you have a card in the region and there's this whole thing with spies where you're moving these discs around at everyone else's cards and you can decide to betray the card, which is like stab the guy in the back. If you lose that card that's in the region, sorry, you've lost control of the region too. You lose all your stuff again. So there's this, when we're talking about plates in the air spinning yeah. and people smashing them, it's... <laughs> It's, I think it's perfectly apt. Yeah, and then Fragile. it's like, okay, we've talked about how complicated it is to establish uh, uh, control in an area control game. Uh, let's let's not forget how complicated it is to score points. So you're you're wanting your team, either the Russians, English, or Afghani's to be the most powerful team by four more than anyone else's. So you and maybe another person who's got the same alliance will work together towards this goal and everyone else will be working against it. And hopefully you can trigger um, adding some, some of your cubes or battling away some of your enemy's cubes. <clears throat> and then on the same turn, because you do get two actions, trigger a dominance check, which will then say, okay, yes, you did it. Yeah. Now you get five points. If you are the most dedicated, and that's the, where you get this whole other complication, which is you can build up, you can pay money, you can get special cards, and you can build up your dedication to one of the three classes. But the moment you get a Patriot, which is a special card for another race, or you decide you want to change races, you have to then start again at zero. Yeah, you lose all your pa former Patriots, which are... So which are cards on the board, which you could be using. Yeah. So it, it's, it, when I say don't get attached, I mean don't <laughs> get attached because you have to be, what is the Chinese proverb? Bend, not break. The tree that bends <laughs> survives a storm. Yeah. So that's, that's the way to play the game. And I, I found, I'm with Joel. I really want to play it again. I'd love to see how other people respond to it. Like, I'd be curious how Stefan would play it. I'd be curious how um, Harry would play it. Um, yeah, and it's also like... like do you know like what your strategy should be? How how are you trying to win? Are you just trying to get as many um, pips out and see if you can get the non-dominance points, or do you are you going to well, try to it. build up de dedication to something and hope that everybody else is okay with that and yeah. doesn't just 
change control. And it's about, I think it's, it's, it's a boot. You really have to look at the board and get you a feel for what, what people are, are playing. And if you see a lot of cards that are connected to a certain faction, you can think, all right, odds are this is going to be one of these things where the, the English are going to be dominant. There's just no other option. People are going to be playing these things and it's going to come yeah. up. So I don't want to be left behind. Or do you look at it and say, I could be the disruptor here. I can. I feel like I can keep things on the edge here. I can bust up just enough and then I can, I'll can. i have the most of my spies out and most mm-hmm. of my tribesmen out. But you could see how quickly things could swing, too, because uh, the English, who didn't even have a player in the game, ended up being the majority at the end. Yeah, it was Russia. Russia was all over the place, and I had a little weak Afghani start. And then after, uh, yeah, like you're saying, by the end of the game, it was just like... The two of you converted. Yeah, and it's just... Can you, and that's it. You should be making deals with people. It should be very... You should be talking. Because like diplomacy, if you're not talking, everyone else is probably talking. And uh, yeah. Anyway. And maybe if you think they're going to hit you hard or come, uh, there's a threat that they're going to do a betray on you or something, maybe you should be um, taking, um, alleviating the tax, right? Is that dollar worth having an enemy, right? Well, exactly. Then, you can you can swing, you can you defer. You can say, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know? We'll be friends in this region and we'll build it up together. Exactly. So, like, if you and this other guy are both gonna be building british troops use your money (laughs) save your money but anyway it's it's a gorgeous game i think it plays nice i really want to sink my teeth into it and really kind of get it i think it's not quick especially at higher player counts i think you're gonna at least be looking at an hour and a half maybe two hours even if i think you knew all the cards it's still not going to be a fast game but it's it's compact it's nice uh to like you could bring it with you to a lot of places and sets up nicely i think as well uh, I think the only problem, and, and I'm going to sound like a bit of a prick for saying this, but it, you might have some trouble tracking down a copy of it because I've got it and you can't get it. <laughs> so keep your eyes out for it because I don't think it's going to have a traditional retail release. That was the main so reason. It was a major think, Kickstarter. It was a big Kickstarter, and they did a great job on it. So I'm just hoping for the next one. Like I was telling Joel, John Company, which is another one of these games that some people say is like watch i'm gonna get it at gen con for 50 percent less <laughs> get <laughs> screw it. you jack get and your kickstarter just do it why not <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, you can kick me another time or two on there <laughs> pick up wingspan for 20 bucks why not who cares they're just giving it away <laughs> <laughs> welcome do you like a glow maven sure <laughs> door prize for everybody that comes to check out one so, cup actually you know what they could probably give away seafall <laughs> Take it, I, I don't even know if people would take Seafall for free. I'm pretty sure I'd, I'd think twice about it, to it's be honest. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. But uh, we ran out of a bit of time, but hopefully next week we'll have got enough of it to talk about Everspace. Yeah. Which I don't know if it'll be on sale Beep by the time you listen to this, but hopefully we've had played, well, we've played enough of it to complain about certain parts and like other things. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Stay listening to CFRU and keep your eyes open.